Hello and welcome. You're listening to Fourth Estate, the show where journalists talk journalism. Coming to you from 2SER in Sydney on the Gadigal lands of the Aurora Nation, right across Australia on the Community Radio Network, and directly to your device across the globe via podcast. My name is Peter Frey. I'm the co-director of the Centre for Media Transition at UTS, and my producer today is Anthony Dockrell. Well, coming up, it's, it seems only last week, well, in fact, it was only last week that we were getting all a bit gloomy about job losses at BuzzFeed and Vice. Then up pops Blue Blood media guys John B. Fairfax and Cameron O'Reilly to fund a new investigative journalism venture under the auspices of private media and its chairman and editor-in-chief, Eric Beecher, who joins us on the line from Melbourne. Thanks for being on the show, Eric. Thanks, Peter. This is great news, of course. So uh, sketch us out your plans. What's going to happen? What do, you, what do we mean by investigative journalism? When are you going to start? Look, give us some basics. Um, so the plan is that uh, we are now hiring um, through Crikey, which is uh, one of private media's uh, digital publications, uh, around 10 to 12 new reporters and an editor to run those reporters. Uh, and they will be doing what we call inquiry journalism. Mm. So it's like investigative journalism, but I think investigative journalism has very particular connotations, and we certainly embrace those, but we're going to take a slightly different approach to it, uh, and not just uh, a small number of long, large investigations. Mm. So, yeah, let's, let's just dwell on that inquiry versus investigative thing for a second. I mean, I personally, I like the I like the idea of inquiry journalism. I guess you might argue that all journalism is inquiry, but nonetheless. Uh, so, why will it be distinctive? You think investigative it sort of says, yeah, big hits take six weeks to do, whereas what you're going to do will have a mixture of things. Is that what I'm hearing? That's right. I mean, we're going to have a team of people that will. Um, operate in a very agile way. So they'll swoop on uh, things that are in the news today and maybe we'll put a a small or even large team onto that uh, for a day or two days. They'll also work on sort of mid-term projects for a week or two weeks and then some of them will work on much longer-term projects. And uh, they'll they'll try and kind of look under rocks and explain. I, I think there's a lot that goes on in the news because the news cycle now is so pacey I think there's a lot that goes on in the news that um, there's assumed knowledge on the part of the consumer mm-hmm. uh, and they move, it moves from um, subject to subject and story to story very quickly. And yet I think there's often uh, a lot more to these stories. You know, who's, who's behind something, uh, connecting the dots, uh, follow the money trail, mm-hmm. who is this person, what's their motivation, you know, that kind of thing. And, so and often that just gets lost in the... Uh, in the uh, fast movement. Yes, yes. No, I couldn't agree with you more. So the, an idea, say, right now would be something like the submarine contract. Something like that, would it? Or Look, yes. I mean, there's almost, it's limitless in yeah. terms of subjects you cover. But I think it's more about a mindset. And I think if you kind of, it's like wearing a particular pair of glasses. If you look at these things through that prism uh, and you ask those questions, I mean, I'm often shocked uh, even in like news meetings and that kind of thing, um, the assumption that uh, the audience uh, about the audience knowing things, mm. and I'll ask an editor and say, "Well, what do you know about this?" And they'll say, "Well, I don't know anything." And I say to them, "Well, if you don't know anything <laughs> and you spend your life following the news, mm. how do you possibly expect 
the audience to. And also, just because something was written about, you know, last month or last year, uh, and it's it's uh, available on Google, doesn't mean that people remember it. No, far from it. I mean, I guess what you're talking about is in part a symptom of, as you mentioned, the sort of fast-paced digital planet we live in, but also this sort of, uh, in a way, one of the things that's eroding journalism, right? This idea that, oh, yeah, everyone knows about that, oh, we'll move on, you know, get on. So, so you have a massive challenge then to kind of, if you like, slow it down a bit, right? Um, yeah, so I'm not necessarily saying slow it down. I'm, I'm saying tease it out. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, fair enough. So, yes, you mentioned Crikey. I was, that was my next line to mention that private media was, uh, Crikey was part of private media, which uh, Crikey kind of started off as a, a thorn in the side blog of politicians and business people by Stephen Main, and now it's a fully-fledged news, news and current affairs website with a very hard paywall. So what would be the relationship between Crikey and this new um, as-yet-unnamed venture? Just to be clear. Yes, so the, all the content will sit uh, within Crikey, that is, uh, uh, in the Crikey um, website and the Crikey Daily uh, email newsletter, which is where uh, a large number of Crikey subscribers consume the Crikey content. Mm-hmm. And so it will, be, it will become part of the Crikey package and will obviously add to and enhance the, the Crikey package. And uh, people will subscribe to Crikey, and this will be included. Okay, and you don't have a name at the moment, or unless you'd like to share it with us now. No, we don't have a name, but we, we are looking at, at giving it its own identity within Crikey. But it's not a separate publication. It won't have a separate website. Right. Uh, it'll be part of Crikey. So uh, it will really be adding, a real, we think, a really significant layer of inquiry journalism uh, to, to what's already there with Crikey. But we're also going to be beefing up the rest of Crikey at the same time. So, so if it had a persona, so you know, just, I'm going to be one of those design-type people now. If it had a persona, what would it be its persona? I think its persona would be uh, someone who walks in the door and is constantly curious and uh, is kind of chipping away at the things I mentioned earlier, you know, who's behind this, mm-hmm. you know, who's pulling the strings, mm-hmm. um, that kind of... So not uh, aggressively in a, and cynically, um, but really kind of making some assumptions that with a lot of these issues, there's far more to it than uh, the news currently covers. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's a, yes, it's a, basically it's a polite pain in the ass. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Mm, right, there you go. Like you, Peter. Indeed. And like you, I suspect, Eric, too. <laughs> Let's stop the mutual loving. One thing you were a little bit coy about was uh, not saying how much this is all going to cost. Why so coy? Well, we've talked about the resources, and that's the cost, really. So, you know, we don't, we're not going to put a dollar figure on it. Um, but remember, we have a business model because Crikey's uh, pure subscriptions. We have a little bit of advertising and other revenue, but it's a very small proportion of the total. And so the beauty of this and what we really like about it is that um, we can measure its success uh, every day, every minute of every day, by the number of subscribers we have. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, it's, it's very commercial, but it's driven entirely by inquiry journalism and Mm -hmm. and so it's a really pure kind of thing we don't have print newspapers to have to cross subsidize we don't have to our focus is 
subscribers. In, in Crikey's case, we have free trials, so people sign up for a free trial, mm-hmm. and then they're in the tent, and then they decide whether or not to subscribe. They're our metrics. We okay. don't have to worry about trying to chase clickbait or anything like that. So do you have in mind a kind of an idea, a number, I suppose, what success looks like? Well, we have a three-year plan, yep. and so our plan is that uh, in about two and a half years' time, uh, we will be we will have added uh, the revenue of the um, annualised cost that we're adding. So with them being in front. Okay, what's that number again? Uh, well, I, I'm not telling you that. <laughs> Sorry, thought I'd ask again. Just you never know. So tell me about John B. Fairfax and Cameron Riley. Oh, we did ask John B. onto the show. Um, he was unavailable. He's out on the farm or something. So I, you know, I don't ask you to put too many words in their mouth, but what's motivating them to back this? Are they want to turn up quid or are they a kind of local Jeff Bezos who bought the Washington Post? Is it is it about deep pockets? Is it basically they've got deep pockets and deep convictions or do they want to, they want to turn some money as well? Um, it's, it's all three. It's, it's deep pockets, it's deep convictions, but it's a deep um, desire to try and help us and, and help everyone, I guess, find uh, business models uh, that work for quality journalism. So it's all three. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, fair enough. But do, do they they ranking? I mean, it's interesting to see John B. back in the game. You you know, a a reasonable person would say, well, he had a, he and his family gave it a huge go uh, in many ways and what we've been out of the media since 2011. Uh, but here he is back in it. So um, again, without putting too many words in his uh, in his mouth, but he's is it just simply in his blood? Look, it is in his blood, and also his son Nick, who's who's involved in this. So, so they and and Cameron O'Reilly have been shareholders in private media for the last couple of years, mm-hmm. um, and you know we've talked a lot over that time about uh, this issue. Is is you know can we find a model? Obviously, Crikey is in part uh, on that road, but at, at this stage it's it's smaller than we'd like it to be. Um, and about six months ago, uh, the four of us uh, went on a, a, a trip uh, to look at um, media organisations, journalism organisations, uh, mainly in the US, but we also went to France and the UK, mm-hmm. and we looked at a number of uh, legacy organisations, um, but we also looked at a number of uh, new uh, both startups and, and, and in the digital area, and that gave us uh, a, a better understanding of what people were doing and how it's worked in different markets, um, and it was highly motivational for all of us. And, and, and one of the things you've mentioned to me in the past, not when we've been on air, is uh, Mediapart in uh, France. What, what did you particularly like about that operation? What we liked was that it was a pure startup. It's 10 years old now. It's digital only. It's subscription only. Uh, they don't actually carry any advertising at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it focuses entirely on investigative journalism and French political journalism. Um, and they charge about 100 euros a year. Uh, it, it started 10 years ago, obviously, with no subscriptions. It was a, it was a startup. Uh, they're now uh, at about 150, 160,000. Uh, subscribers, and they have a newsroom of about 70 or 80 reporters. Uh, they're profitable, um, and it was we're not following their editorial model, and mm-hmm. it's a different country and different environment. Sure, sure. Um, but I think what it did show us was this can be done. 
Yep. Just remind the listeners, how much is a sub to a sub to Crikey now? Uh, Crikey now, I think, is two hundred and twenty dollars a year. Right, and, and will it go up with this new venture? Uh, it may, it may. We'll just see how it goes. It won't, it won't kind of double or anything like that, but it mm. may go up uh, a little bit over time. Okay, and do you? Uh, I mean, you have a pretty good idea, given your Crikey experience and your experience with other uh, properties you have, titles you have, of the kind of how elastic, I suppose, you know, the market is in terms of price. Do you, you know? What do you sense? You, do you have a sense that, you know, there is if you give them if you give the audiences audience what they want, they're prepared to pay for it. Look, yeah. I don't think there's any doubt about that in, in this particular sector. So we're covering politics and doing investigative reporting and op eds and that kind of thing. So it's for a particular kind of audience, a, what you might call a broadsheet or ABC audience. Mm. Um, and I have absolutely no doubt that. Uh, they uh, not only have the capability of, of paying probably a lot more than $220 a year, um, but in a civic contribution sense, want to do that if the journalism is there. Hmm. Hmm. No, I, I, Yes, it's interesting, though. I, I don't know whether you've tested this or thought about this. So what is that number? You know, you say it's possibly a lot bigger than 220 Is it, I don't know, 250 300 500 I don't know. Do you have any ideas about that? Well, you know, Crikey delivers about a dozen stories a day, five days a week, uh, and it's not, it doesn't cover the news, so they're not mm-hmm. commoditized sort of wire service-style stories. Uh, you know, my view is that uh, there, are, there are probably, you know, tens and tens of thousands of people in Australia who would pay at least double the 220. Mm. Uh, but, you know, we're not going to do that. We're, we're going to do it gradually and... Uh, and that's, that's the other great thing about this kind of business model is that you get instant feedback um, all the time. So you know what works and what doesn't work and what resonates. Yeah. Good. So if there are these, and I don't disagree with you, by the way, that there are lots more people out there prepared to pay, what stops them from paying? Why aren't they paying? Well, they are paying to a reasonable extent. I mean, between uh, the Australian, the Financial Review, the Sydney Morning Herald and The Age... They're going close now, I think, on their publicly available figures to averaging about close to 100,000 subscribers each. Um, and I don't know the average subscription price, but I would have thought it's, uh, you know, three, two, three, four hundred dollars a year. So they are already doing it. Mm, mm. But, but there are a lot of people, if you like, people like us who want to be informed who believe in public interest journalism and yet still don't put their hand in their pocket? Is that because, like, you know, is that because of the ABC or is it because they don't fundamentally believe that journalism, you know, they should pay for journalism? Do you have any thoughts about that? Yes, I mean the ABC does a terrific job, so that's free. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that has to be a factor. I mean, you know, the, the BBC does exactly the same thing and the same in Canada, but there aren't that many countries that have public broadcasters of that calibre, so that has to be a factor, surely. Mm. I think the other thing is that, remember, when people just bought newspapers, they actually paid for those newspapers. Mm. And there were, you know, millions and millions of people paying, you know, the equivalent of a few dollars a day. Um, What's happening now is that the newspapers have obviously declined in size and depth and everything, and we've moved to digital, and the digital, digital sector is now growing. So oh, I think they've absolutely demonstrated the capacity to pay. Mm. Well, one point about newspapers, of course, is that they were cheap. And so if we keep, 
you know, with subscription model, uh, do we risk making kind of public interest journalism a, a luxury product? Well, I think if you are being asked to pay, you know, three or four dollars a week or less than a dollar a day, which mm. is what Crikey's charging at the moment, mm. that's pretty cheap. Yeah, it's not, a, it's not a luxury, given the price of a cup of coffee, for instance. You wrote back in July uh, last year when uh, the Fairfax 9 mer- merger was announced that this would be uh, a, a death of some, there'd be quality journalism would be collateral damage in that merger. Is that kind of also what's, is this giving you the window, the opportunity? Is that a factor in all this? No, no not at all. No, I, I, I think what we're trying to do here is uh, completely separate from anything that's going on in the marketplace in the sense that we create this kind of journalism, uh, we're not saying it's going to be better than anyone else's. We're saying it might be slightly different and its tone may be different and it's vigorously independent and it's Australian-owned. Mm. But if we do this, then there's a big enough market for it. We already have a slice of that market through Crikey subscribers. Mm. Uh, I, I don't think it's in any way uh, related to what's going on uh, in, okay. in bigger places. How many subscribers does Crikey have at the moment? Uh, it's around about 11,000. Okay. All right. Well, it'll be very interesting to see, uh, you know, the impact of this. It can, it can only go up, really, you'd think, right? Hopefully. Yeah, of course. Um, so on, to digress a little bit from your good news, I'm interested in your thoughts on two things that have, you know, come out. Or one thing that I think the deadline for uh, um, resubmission to the ACCC's inquiry into digital platforms is tomorrow. I'm sure you've knocked one out for that. And I'm interested in, in, and then we'll get to the Cairncross review in uh, in the UK in a second. One of the, a couple of things in the preliminary report from the ACCC was the idea of tax offsets to support public interest journalism, and a separate thought was to make subscriptions tax deductible, again in the name of public interest journalism. Does journalism need this sort of? Does quality journalism need this sort of government support? Well, I think people should draw their own conclusions about that. I think you should just look at the facts. The facts are that, I guess this is slightly subjective, but I don't think it's contentious. Mm. Public interest journalism is an integral part of our democratic system. So that's the first, mm-hmm. what I would regard as a fact. The next fact is that uh, some number like three or four or 5,000 uh, journalists, some of whom, not all of whom, operate in that public interest uh, sphere, have lost their jobs in Australia in the last five to seven years. Mm-hmm. And that kind of journalism is almost exclusively about people doing the journalism. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's a human um, yeah. uh, occupation. It's getting on the phone. It's knocking on doors. Yep. Exactly. So if you take those two, what I would regard as facts, and put them together... Uh, if it's important to democracy, and if thousands, maybe you know, thirty or forty percent of the total—no one knows the exact figure—have uh, lost their jobs, then that journalism can't do its job for democracy anywhere near as well as it should. Mm-hmm. So, to me, that's the issue. Then you'd say, well, okay, do we all accept that, or do we say, no, we need to find uh, a a supplementary funding source? Mm-hmm. I mean, if the same thing was happening to the court system which is also integral to democracy, and it had lost 30 or 40% of its resources, it would be all over the front pages of every newspaper and news website uh, until government um, provided uh, the resources. Mm. So why aren't we saying the same thing about public interest journalism? Okay. So what, what would you prefer, 
tax offsets or tax deductibility for subs or and other? Uh, is it? What do you think? So this is a this is a very subjective view. My view is it's all about employing those journalists, mm-hmm. um, and so I think it should be if there is going to be any kind of government involvement. Two things. Number one, it has to be uh, completely at arm's length from the government of the day in a, in a very structural, legal sense. The government can't have anything to do with where that money goes uh, so that the independence of the journalism is preserved. Uh, and secondly, I think it should go to paying for or subsidising the employment of journalists because that is what public interest journalism is. So is that is that... Well, that could be any number of mechanisms. Do you have a preferred mechanism on that? Uh, well, I think it ends up probably being some way either through the tax system. In other words, if uh, if people employ these journalists uh, under a very strict criteria, uh, you know, instead of paying them, uh, you know, $100,000 a year, there is some sub- subsidy or supplement through the tax system or some other mechanism um, that, that means that they pay them less than that. I mean, put it this way, here at Private Media, we're small, uh, we probably employ 20, 25 journalists, full-time mm-hmm. journalists, we're about to hire another tranche. Mm-hmm. Uh, if, if we got a 30 or 40% subsidy, we'd go and hire 30 or 40% more tomorrow. Mm-hmm. So there would therefore be 30 to 40% more public interest journalism? Yeah, I think so. Mm, mm, okay. Uh, I mentioned the Cancross, uh, Cancross Review in the UK, which just came out a, a day or so ago. Um, that was a, a Parliament-inspired inquiry into how to make journalism sustainable. So it's different than the ACCC on the face of it, because the ACCC was really looking at the impact of the digital platforms on, on the news environment, although it, it strayed or went into a, lots of other areas. Um, so that's just reported. The Cairncross Review has just reported, and it's a couple of very interesting thoughts that came out of it. You might have picked up on some other things as well, Eric, but two things that hit, uh, tweaked my buttons. One was it suggests that there needs to be a new body, something called it calls the Institute for Public News to ensure the provision of public news, public good journalism, uh, including make, might, possibly this institute would manage a fund to support local news. And the second and really interesting thought, uh, and obviously very contentious thought in the UK, and would be so equivalent here, I would imagine, is that the BBC, the market impact of the BBC should be explored, uh, and at the very least the corporations should do more, the BBC, BBC should do more to help local publishers. What do you think of those two things, and what else did you get out of that review? Uh, well, I haven't read it in any detail yet, um, and I, I think that, you know, the issues are identical, but the solutions uh, and the environment might be quite different. Mm-hmm. The issues are exactly the same, you know, that the, the resources that fund public interest journalism have declined dramatically. Yep. What did you do about it? Yep. Uh, is there a role for government and government funding? You know, they're the questions. Yep. You know, I don't, you know, I don't want to kind of hammer a particular point of view or talk about the ABC necessarily because I think the most important thing is to try and establish in both the mind of government and uh, politicians uh, and the public uh, as to whether or not this is a legitimate uh, cause and that, you know, is there any other uh, funding source? I mean, some big publishers uh, don't want this sort of thing to happen because they want the marketplace 
uh, to be the only determinant of what happens and therefore they can potentially get stronger as others get weaker. Mm. So you're going to get public debate against this. I think the first step is to actually get the public debate uh, in sync with the idea of it. And then you can figure out the solutions. And I think as long as they're based on 100% arm's length independence, if there is government funding, um, then the mechanisms really are probably more local to different countries. What do you think, but, but what do you think of the an idea of an institute uh, dedicated to public news, as the BBC, as the uh, Cairncross thing has called it? It could be called lots of other things, of course. But it does I guess what I'm asking is, does the industry to 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 answer your question, how do we get these things in sync? Is one of the answers to have a new body or new bodies because ACCC has some ideas about new bodies as well that can essentially raise the profile to a level of this debate to a level where there is no no more need for more debate. It's basically accepted that journalism is a public good and in some way needs support. So does a new body, Institute of Public News or whatever, or the Public Interest Journalism Initiative or whatever we may call it, what do we need something like that? Look, I think if, if it achieved that outcome or if it was set up to try and achieve that outcome, that would be great. I think that uh, uh, there's the danger in talking about a body like that, that, as I say, some existing media organisations... Remember, we live in a country, much more so than the UK, of you know incredible consolidation of ownership of media. Mm-hmm. And so one or two... I mean, essentially, outside the ABC, uh, the Nine um, Network now and uh, News Corporation... Uh, you know, between them, I don't know the, the numbers, but they are so dominant in the employment of uh, journalists. You know, if they decided, one or other or both of them decided to campaign against something like this, it could actually have the opposite effect and blow it up before it even uh, got mm. on the agenda. Mm. Do, you, do you sense, I mean, again, this is a very subjective uh, question and probably answer. I mean, do you sense that, uh, if you like, the good guys are winning on this debate? I think it's too early to tell, but I think uh, as someone who's kind of involved in this from various aspects, uh, I find that when you do talk to people, regardless of their political persuasion or their profession or anything like that, um, even people that you might think would be uh, reflexively opposed to the idea of discussing, you know, external funding of journalism, when you actually explain it in clear, simple terms, nearly all of them then get it and usually support it. Mm, mm. Two quick final questions. One is, in all this, we haven't mentioned the digital platforms, even though the ACCC was a part, you know, concentrating on, on essentially Google and Facebook. What do you want to see happen in terms of the digital platforms? I mean, there's a lot of suggestions around. One of them is a, a some sort of carrier tax, a levy that is then passed into journalism in some way. There's a lot more, you know, more robust ideas about breaking the whole thing up. What do you want to see in terms of those digital platforms? What needs to happen? Well, I think there's a number of things in my view. I mean, it would be nice that, to think that they would pay the, the right amount of tax in Australia. I mean, that would be nice, you know. In other words, uh, being just normal um, corporate citizens, mm-hmm. particularly as they are platforms that, that uh, carry journalism. Um, Beyond that, I think, uh, you know, there are all the issues about privacy and that kind of thing. 
um, and and that's probably a separate uh, in a separate bucket as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I personally think the idea of sort of saying, well, Google and Facebook uh, kind of stole the funding that's that used to support public interest journalism. I think that's an incredibly simplistic and probably uh, factually inaccurate right. comment to make. And so, therefore, if you're kind of talking about blood money or something, I just don't think that's appropriate. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So your point being is that the, that the kind of the business model that supported print had blown up before they really arrived? The revenues that they're getting are not the same revenues that used to be uh, yeah. supporting the rivers of gold. They're yeah. different rivers. They're different Different parts of money. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's that's the subject of a whole new show, I guess. But uh, yeah. Okay. So, what do you, is there anything else? You, what about this idea of a carrier tax? This idea that they should be taxed in some way to pay for the content they carry that they make and you know, they find eyeballs with, which is content made by, in part, some of the journalists that you employ. I mean, it is really tricky um, because you, you're almost dealing here with sovereign risk in terms of governments making decisions like this. Uh, I mean, clearly there needs to be more equilibrium in the the funding of journalism in terms of its role in democracy. But whether Google and Facebook are the two that need to provide that, I think that's much more complicated. Um, In some ways, I'd rather see it done separately. Mm, Okay. All right. All right. Well, as I say, look, this is a massive subject and maybe I can get you back on the show uh, when the ACCC comes out with its final report with a couple other folks and we can pull it apart then. Um, My last question really is quite simple. When do we expect to see, uh, going back to the new venture, when do we expect to see the first uh, copy to arrive uh, in my inbox? So, you know, obviously, Crikey comes out every day anyway, mm-hmm. um, and uh, over the next couple of months, uh, we'll probably start to add a bit of it, but we're hoping that in April sometime, uh, we'll, in effect, press the big button, and mm-hmm. then uh, we'll launch it uh, at scale. That's the aim. Great. Uh, in time for the election, of course. Yes, coincidentally. <laughs> you will. Happy days. Eric Beecher, thank you so much for being on The Fourth Estate. It's been great to talk to you um, and to bring your uh, massive experience and wisdom and uh, courage, really, to the show. Thank you very much for uh, spending some time with Fourth Estate tonight. Thank you, Peter. And just to remind you, uh, please keep subscribing to The Fourth Estate on your favorite podcast so you can hear us talk about media politics and a few things in between when you like, not just at, uh, in the evening on the evening show or whenever your community radio network uh, rebroadcasts us. Uh, we will be back with more next week. But in the meantime, you can stay in touch with us on Facebook or Twitter, where our handle is Fourth Estate AU. My name is Peter Frey. The producer has been Anthony Dockrell. And thank you so much for listening.